2 Timothy. We're going to go to a few passages where I want to speak to you this morning on the subject of God's Word. God's Word. There's an interesting word in there, and a couple of you I told about this a little bit. You can feel real smart you had the game, and a couple of you saw a lead in like this in chapel, but not this message. In 2 Timothy 3.16, we you just read, per my instructions with Brother Carpenter, uh, you read the uh, uh, verse there. And by the way, the look on my wife's face was priceless. She was coming in, and Keith and Nicole were running junior church. My wife would be in here uh, this morning, and uh, she was coming from junior church, opened the door, and I'm standing on the hallway on the phone, and she's gone. It just You could see it just didn't compute with her at all. It's like, <laughs> what's going on? My husband's ordering a sub in or something? What's going on? Uh, it seemed a little odd at the time. Um, the Second uh, Timothy three sixteen it says, of course, that familiar verse says, "All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works." And I that word give, inspiration given by inspiration. I could take time and teach you its. Form and its base form of Theonustos, God breathed. That would be relevant. I can show you about inspiration and how the Lord gives it. But I chose by the illustration this morning to put something into your mind, a little unusual in the way that we did it there, to show you what inspiration is actually about. Um, when God gave His Word, what we have in our Bible, what I have in my King James Bible in front of me, are God's words, not man's words. And there's the fundamental difference between Bible-believing, solid Bible-believing Christianity and that which puts on the name Christianity uh, and, and parades around with it is an issue of whether or not these words are actually the words of God or these are the words of men. And uh, I'm speaking to you on the subject of God's Word uh, with that. Inspiration. What is the idea of that? The idea is that uh, God had given the words. I called uh, uh, Brother Carpenter and I said, tell the people, please open your Bibles to 2 Timothy 3, 15, 16 and read these verses after Brother Carpenter. When Brother Carpenter stepped up here, this sermon was not his idea, so don't blame it on him, alright? And uh, neither, uh, neither were they his words. He was up here having received from me my words to deliver to you. Much to your commendation as a congregation, he got up and we had agreed on, he would say, Pastors, this is Pastor, and he would like you to do this. And you took his word that he had just heard from me and was telling you what to do. Based on that, you opened your Bibles, you read verses together. That's a very simple, simple illustration of the fact that thank God at points and times in history throughout the course of when this Bible was penned and over about a 1,500-year period using about 39 human penmen that God gave His words on what mankind's supposed to do and then we are supposed to take His words and obey them and love them and live them in our day-by-day work. 
sometimes people who will try to argue with you, and I suggest you don't get in the argument business. No one's ever been converted by arguing. I don't mind you making the point. And if you've got somebody where it doesn't become hostile and where you can talk to them, certainly you can disagree, and it's okay. Paul did that. He opened an allege. He, he disputed with. He did these things. That's fine. But argument is where it's coming down to, I've got my point, you've got your point, neither of us are going to move because of pride. That's not in any way beneficial. But whenever we can give people the Word of God, you will sometimes run to people and say, well, men wrote that. Well, men did this or that. I was up in a uh, uh, witness. I was in apartments that are across from the apartments that are down on Sells Road. There's some that go up. There's a hill across from there. And uh, there are quad apartments. Well, actually, you've got two layers of them uh, on each one. And the apartment's up in there. And uh, I was talking to a fellow, and things were going reasonably well. He was not a believer. Did not... I mean, he wasn't shutting me down. He was talking and it was going pretty good. And then all of a sudden, he started getting pretty nasty towards the Bible. And he'd get nasty towards me all day long. And if he doesn't seem like, you know, he's running me off, I'll take that. I mean, it doesn't matter. I've been called everything but a milk cow, so I'm not worried about that. But he, he, uh, um, he got going and he said, let me tell you what that book is. And point in my New Testament. He says, that's what came as a result of some shepherds getting hold of some bad mushrooms one night. Man, I'm telling you, I, I, just, I just ran cold, not out of anger. I just looked at him. I said, Yon-Yo. He said, what were you talking about? I said, Yon-Yo. I said, Yon-Yo. I said, you just crossed the line. I looked at him. I said, you just crossed the line. I said, I can't tell you what line you crossed. You just crossed one, and I'm out of here. Enjoy that. Yeah. Better learn not to be disrespectful to God's Word. No men get blown completely out of ministry because they started sowing doubt about the Word of God in people's minds. Better, you better learn not ever to disrespect the Word of God. It's okay to say the parts of it you don't understand because there's a bunch of parts we don't understand. It's okay to say parts of it you don't get because there's parts of it we don't. You might even say, huh, that's tough. I don't, I don't understand that. But I'll tell you what, we better learn to have a respect for the Word of God because this is God's Word. And, uh, and, and as such... Uh, we can thank God that we have it, which is the main thing I'm bringing you this morning. I'm glad as a child of God that in a very confusing world that's not getting less confusing with time, that uh, thank God I have the Word of God that's solid and strong and stable. And I don't have to come to it. I told you I like to read and I'm an eclectic reader. But when I'm reading various things, whether they be historical, medical, whatever I'm reading at the time, Everyone has to go through a filter. I'm checking. I'm checking with what I know, what I've studied other areas. But thank God I've got a book that is God's Word. This is not man's Word. Uh, these are not... Uh, oh, I know Paul was used as a penman, but these aren't Paul's words. These are God's Word given through Paul and Peter and then James and Matthew and Mark and, and Isaiah and Jeremiah and all this. Thank God that I have the Word of God. You say, preacher, that's pretty simplistic. I've studied long and hard to become that simplistic. So if you don't mind, I'll just sit at it. Uh, and stay on it. Many years ago, I figured out I used to be calling myself a middle-aged preacher. I'd have to live to be 110 to be middle-aged. I'm not middle-aged anymore. If y'all mind, I'm just going to stay with what I know God has done. Thank God for the Word of God. Let me give you some basic thoughts about the Word of God. First of all, how it got here. Our text tells us it was given by inspiration of God. There was a point in time origin in which God gave His Word. Thank God He did. You think about how kind that is. But it is in keeping with what we understand about the nature of God, Nate. Um, You figure God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. 
We know that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, according to the Bible, it said in the Old Testament, shall bear a son, his name shall be called Emmanuel. Then we come over to the book of Matthew and it says his name is called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. We understand that. When Philip was having some confusion and stuff, he, Philip said unto Jesus, show us the Father and it sufficeth us. And Jesus said, have I been so long time with thee, Philip, and hast thou not known me? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. God Himself came to this earth, robed in flesh. Why? Because man could not get to Him, God came to us. You think about that. In fact, uh, the Bible uses this terminology. It talks about when the kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. He showed up and his, Him coming as a man was kindness. He showed us what to do. He did literally step in our place between us and the wrath of God to be our sacrifice. But He also lived in human flesh to show us how a person that has the Spirit of God in him can and should live before God. I'm glad that our Savior loves us like that. And it's perfectly in keeping with what we understand about His character to understand that He also communicated with us. By, uh, Jesus, when describing Himself, said, I am the Alpha and Omega. Many people in the room understand that's the first and last uh, characters in the, in the Greek alphabet. Jesus literally said, I am the A to Z. He also described Himself as the Word of God. John described Him as the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. We find in verse 14 that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And Jesus Christ is the communication of God to us. Thank God. But when Christ went back up 40 days after resurrecting, He did not leave us without something in this world. And thank God before He came to this earth, we were not without something. Uh, in fact, so important is the Word of God that uh, when uh, the rich man and Lazarus both passed away and the rich man was separated from Lazarus by a great gulf and the rich man lifted up his eyes in hell being in torments and he asked Abraham, seeing him afar off, he said, send Lazarus back. That's not the same Lazarus that resurrected. He said, send Lazarus back. He said, I have five brothers. Send him back to tell them not to come to this place. And uh, Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Well, Moses and the prophets weren't living during that time. What he's talking about is the writings, the Word of God. And he said, they have Moses and the prophets. If they will not hear them, they will not believe. They will raised from the dead. Uh, from time to time, big signs and wonders and miracles, third wave renewal and all this other stuff. I've seen enough of them come and go to make you sick. Uh, come down through Christianity, lead a lot of people astray, and they think the world's going to be converted by some kind of renewal of miracles happening. It's not. It's going to be dealt with by the power of God, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto the Jew first and also to the Greek. You're going to be converted. You're going to be converted by the living Word of God. And, and Christ is going to convert you. His agency he uses is the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. I'm glad we have the Word of God. How it got here? God gave it. That's how it got here. And I know, I've studied, I went to a liberal Bible college that tried to teach me that the Bible that they said that they were trying to teach us wasn't real. And if you don't know how real that is, you've never attended a liberal Bible college. And I'm not just throwing around a label with that either. I'm accurate, both theologically and in inclinations. And I went to it. 
And I remember getting up there and they'd teach us why First and Second Peter was a non-Petrian authorship, why there should be in First and Second Daniel, why the first five books of, uh, of the Bible could not be uh, uh, trusted as far as historical authenticity, and why when Jesus spoke of miracles, uh, uh, miracles it was actually hyperbole and that he didn't actually mean it, and all these fancy reasons and all these ways to try to explain away one fact, and that is that God himself has given his word and we have it. And by the way, they also told me never to raise my voice because that's not what you do if you're intellectually capable. And so I guess I'm not. Um, I was intellectually capable enough to disregard their senseless twaddle that they call teaching. Um, 2 Timothy 3.16 says it's by the Word of God. It, it, it's given by inspiration. God gave it. That's God's book. I can say I don't know it. I can say I think it may mean this. I can say that matches over here. But honestly, I don't even have—I don't even get an opinion about it. I get an opinion about God's word. It's God's word. Amen. <laughs> it judges me. I'm not supposed to judge it. Amen. By the way, no preacher's supposed to get behind the pulpit, read his, read what he calls his Bible from it, and then tell you, "Oh, that's an unfortunate translation. It should have been this word." In other words, causing you to trust him instead of the word. Right. Thank you. I don't need a priest in my life. I have a priest of the believer. I can go directly to God. Amen. And so, what happens here? Thank God, we have God's word. And it's settled forever in heaven. Second Peter 1 speaks to this also, how God got, got the Word here. And we're going to turn to several passages. Second Peter chapter 1. And by the way, I invite your study into these passages. They're not just proof texts pulled out randomly. Second Peter chapter 1. Uh, no, it's nestled right there. There it is. You can get, get the land on it. 2 Peter chapter 1. If there were any doubt of these situations at all, this would take it away. Verse 20, 2 Peter 1 and verse 20 says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. In other words, we don't get to assign a value to it. We don't get to decide what it is. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Thank God that we have the Word of God. Let us never, let us never in any way doubt that. Number one, I said, how it got here. Our text told us it's given by inspiration of God. Our, our uh, Second Peter tells us that holy men of old were moved by the Holy Ghost. Thank God God gave it here. By the way, it's God's Word, not just man's Word. I've given some time to that, but let me show you some Scriptures that just drive this home so strongly. Second Thessalonians will be the first place we want to go with this. Second Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians, and what chapter do I want you in? 2 Thessalonians 2. I'm unapologetic in the stand of the Word of God. Unapologetic. 2 Peter, or 2 Peter. I'm unapologetic that I do that a lot. I'm teaching this morning the Bible's infallible, not your preacher, but you have plenty of evidence about that. 2 Thessalonians, try to keep straight on this. Chapter 2. Look, if you will, please. If I got the right verse there. 1 Thessalonians, I told you a second. By the way, some of you worry about me when I do that. Well, some of you who've been here all 28 years of my pastor, tell them how long I've been doing that. 28 years of the pastor, okay? So, 
It's not old age creeping up on me. It slammed into me all at once. Um, thanks for the testimony, my brother. Second, first, first Thessalonians 2, verse 13. Here we go. I found it. For this cause also, thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of what, church? Word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men. I can't tell you how important that is. Obviously, it's important as underscored by the fact it's a Bible verse. But how you approach it as to whether you're receiving the Word of God or the Word of man makes a difference in how you will respond to it and with what respect you treat it. As it is uh, as word, uh, word of men, but as it is in truth, the Word of God, which, see that good word, effectually? It's not a hard word to figure out, is it? What's the root word of that? It's simple. Effect. Effectually means it has a, a, an effect on you. It does something to you. Which effectually worketh also in whom? You that believe. Say, well, the Bible never does anything for me. The Bible's never done anything for me. Then you need to check. Or a man called me this week and asked, and said, I'm studying. I've been studying a certain area. And it just seems like I'm not getting anything out of it right now. I said, well, you can just be going through a dry time. You get that sometimes. And, and I thought maybe their diet in the Bible was a little off balance for where they are in their spiritual walk. And I kind of nudged them towards uh, staying where they are and adding in a little bit of something different. But being, that being the case, I'm not talking about, you know, you got up this morning, you read your Bible, and, and it was like you couldn't remember what you read as soon as you read it. I'm not talking about you had a day like that. But the Word of God never does anything to you. People who belong to God, they hear the Word of God, it does something to them. There's something in them that, that, that uh, responds to it. When, uh, when this organ was being played and we had someone on both the piano and the organ in the services, these two would be in sync with each other. They would be in one accord. They would be in the same chord. They'd be playing the same thing. Why? Because uh, there, was a, there was a response to it. A little while ago, Brother Tim had you sing the chorus to the song. I am not sure, because I know Brother Tim, and of course him pastoring and stuff, he's been around the ministry a long time. I don't know for sure if he just felt led of the Lord that that was a good song for you all to sing the verse on, or if he was fit, trying to figure out where in the world the preacher went, trying, trying to buy enough time for me to get back in here. And uh, so he may have been. That would have been a good move. And uh, so I went ahead and rang the phone after he did it once, lest he kept singing, trying to figure out where I was. Because Brother Tim did not know what I was doing this morning. He walked out that door looking at me like, what's going on? Um, but <laughs> when you, the Word of God never does anything for you. And you need to check whose you are. Because my Bible says that the Word of God effectually works in those who believe. It has an effect, a good positive effect with it. Let me show you some other verses that deal with this. Uh, God's Word, it's not just man's Word. And we see that in that verse. And then look in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. By the way, let me say, I hope you, men, you don't need to be a member of this church. You know, I don't care if you even come regularly. You can be a part of the men's meeting. I'm excited about the part I have in it tonight. I've got a truth that will encourage, and I promise it will strengthen you in the inner man if you'll come and learn it. It is, the Lord gave it to me a while back in an early morning study, and I thought, man, that's for our men in that meeting, and it'll be a blessing to you. 1 Corinthians 14, look please, if you will, in verse 
7. We're going to go all the way down through, uh, excuse me, go, go down. Uh, now, okay, go, go all the way down. I'm not going to read that whole lengthy passage. Go down to verse 37. It talks about the different voices in the world. It talks about how God gives a distinction. And the Word of God is distinct. It talks about how He, uh, uh, that even that things without life, whether pipe or harp, give a distinction, sound, else someone would not know how to prepare themselves to battle. And the Word of God does that. It's not man's Word. It's, it's, it's unequivocally God's Word. And then it goes down to with some different things as far as um, the, the positions in the church and such. But it comes down and culminates. Let's go all the way down. Um, look in verse 36. Let's begin with that. It says, What came the Word of God out from you or came it unto you only? If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge. Okay, if you think yourself being spiritual, here's what we're to acknowledge. Acknowledge that the things that I write unto you, this Paul, are the commandments whom? Of the Lord. Uh, there's a thing called uh, there's a thing called hyperdispensationalism, and it is uh, it tries to teach you chop your Bible up into little bit bits. There is rightly dividing the word of truth, and that is a biblical teaching, and it's it's a right way of doing it. But there are people who uh, I've had people say only the words of Jesus really apply, and uh, I've had people say well only Paul and only some of his writings. That's called heresy because it's the word of God. Whether I'm reading in Isaiah or I'm reading in Corinthians, it's the Word of God. I understand application. I understand Old Testament and New Testament. I understand that the New Testament came into force at the death of the testator. I understand the teachings of Hebrews on that. I can parse out to you theologically the things in Romans concerning this, but I'm going to tell you something. It's all the Word of God. And you know, probably if God really, really detested something in the Old Testament, it's a really, really good idea to stay away from it in the New Testament. Amen. If something made God happy, then it probably still makes God happy. Amen. I mean, how complicated is this, folks? Uh, he said that these things, he said, you, you acknowledge that the things I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. And I have even heard people in our own congregation, well, Paul said that. No, Paul was doing exactly what he did, only, well, not exactly, he just had me on the other end of a phone, whereas Paul was receiving direct revelation from God, but Paul was delivering God's commandments. And uh, let, me, let me tell you something. Uh, both at the judgment seat of Christ and at the great white throne, the argument, well, Paul said it, and it wasn't Jesus' own words, isn't going to hold water. You're going to be you're held accountable for that. And by the way, you'll really be held accountable for it because you've been taught it this morning from the Word of God. It is the Word of God. and We need to get that down. So God's Word, how it got here. It got here because of God. God's Word is not just man's Word. I had a cousin who was fond of saying, yeah, the Bible's good. It contains the wisdom of the ages. I heard that three or four times. had all I could take. I said, no, it didn't. You know, Usher's history of the world contains some wisdom of the ages. Read many good history books. They contain some wisdom of the ages. This doesn't contain wisdom of the ages. This, this is the wisdom of God. This, these are God's words. This is not like another book. Amen. It's God's Word. It's God's Word. And so, God's Word, not just man's. Thirdly, I want to say to you, it's essential to spiritual life and growth. It is essential. You have to have it to spiritual life and growth. First Peter chapter 1. That word's gotten thrown around a lot the last few months, hasn't it? Essential. People figuring out what's essential and what's not essential. 
Apparently, intelligence isn't essential anymore. <laughs> On all sides of the fence, trust me. I think, I think what's been happening is we're getting revealed to us just how messed up we are as a people and how much we need the Lord. I think, I think it's a good time for us to look at things realistically and realize there's some humility due on the part of our minds and some seeking of God in our hearts. A lot of finger pointing going on. That's not what God wants. God wants us to take stock of the fact that we need the Lord and we need to learn to walk humbly before Him. Amen. That's really what the message of the day is. But 1 Peter chapter 1, I started to say I digress, but I don't. I meant to go there. 1 Peter 1, look in verse 18. I'm going to show you this whole passage and how it fits in here. 1 Peter 1, verse 18. It says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot, blemish rather, and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifest in these last times for you, who by Him do believe in God, that raised Him up from the dead and gave Him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. When I was born in 1964, it was of corruptible seed. That which was born in 1964 will one day die. The sentence of death is upon it. I tried to keep it healthy, tried to take care of it, but one day it'll die. My wife, Stan Lele, is near to home. Her body riddled with cancer, weak, always a strong woman, weak now, and and there, in a condition that's a sad condition. But she, one day, it'll be done. But thank God there was a day in 1980, in July 26, 1980, when I was born again. And that time it was not of corruptible seed. It was of incorruptible. That's what this is talking about. I heard the Word of God. It pierced through my heart. God sent me conviction. And I received Jesus Christ as my Savior. Thank God I began on that day. That new man is housed in the old man. The two tangle quite often, honestly. But look at the verse again because it's your heritage. Look at verse 23. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth. How long, church? For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the Word of the Lord endureth forever. <laughs> and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. A long time after every doubter and Bible denier has perished from this earth, the word of the Lord will still stand. A long time after this earth has perished, the word of the Lord will still stand. Heaven and earth shall pass away, Jesus said, but my words Shall never pass away. Thank God for it. God's Word, it's essential to spiritual life and growth. You're born again by this Word of God. Sometimes people have used, and I'm not mad at somebody for using this because usually they would include the Gospel with it just for what they said. But how many of you are familiar with what they call the wordless book? 
Yeah, he did. It's got little colors, and my heart was black with sin. And Jesus came in, and usually they'll include the gospel with it. I'll tell you the problem I have with the wordless book. You ready? You might guess it. It's wordless. That's my problem with the wordless book. For born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible by the word of God. People need to hear the gospel, and they need to hear the scripture. It's the scripture that'll penetrate into you. Look, I get somebody who wants to argue this, that, and other. I will. I will promise you a temptation. I overcome regularly when I'm witnessing. I like to debate. I would like to argue. It's a pride thing. It's a flesh thing. So I have to walk away from it. I want to prove I know more than they do. I've studied better than they have. It's pride. It has no place in serving God. It's a fault. It's not. A, it's not. A, it's not a virtue. But I promise you the default, and what I always go back to with it, is to go back and just start giving them Scripture, giving them Scripture, giving them Scripture. You say, why is that? Because only Scripture will break the hardened heart. Only Scripture can pierce through all the arguments. Only Scripture can convert. Only Scripture can convince. Get them the Bible! Tell you about that little fellow that lived over the hill here, a self-proclaimed vampire, had his house decorated with all kinds of vile and wicked stuff, and he wanted to talk to me in the Gaelic language and impress me by his his, his uh, knowledge of the ancient pagan religions and all this other nonsense stuff. And so I started talking to him, and I immediately saw his habit. He's going to try to draw me into argument and historical standing, and when did this come about? When did that come about? He starts giving scripture to him, giving scripture to him. And he said, what do you think about this? And I give scripture to him. What do you think about this? And finally, he stomped his foot and he says, can't you just tell me what you think yourself and what your opinion is without the Bible? That was telling, wasn't it? I said, no. Exactly, my word went to him was, man, shall not live by bread alone, but by every word to proceed out of the God. And he just got upset. Well, you figure the devil wasn't big and hit, as big in him as the hippopotamus. I mean, that, about, that guy was just about as whacked out as you can get. Uh, what are you going to do? Get the devil, get the scripture to him. Get the scripture to him. He said, "Man, did he get saved?" I don't know. His ferret was trying to bite me the whole time I was talking to him. Was, he was, honest to goodness. I thought y'all's cat was dangerous. I had a ferret chewing on my ankle. Um, it's essential to spiritual life and growth. You've been born again. It's according to the Word of God. It's not because you had a feeling. It's not like people like to say, my people from Eastern Kentucky, I understand hill language. And people say, well, I know it was true because when I talk about it, I get goosebumps. Hey, your skin wrinkling up doesn't make something true or false. It is true or false according to whether or not it's in the Word of God. I don't care what your hair follicles are doing. You have to understand something that the, that it, we're not saved because we were overcome with a feeling or I had an experience or I saw this light or my dead so-and-so came and talked to me and said I was okay or I heard a voice over there. You're being messed with. You better get back to the Word of God. Amen. You need something far more substantial than just the effervescence of an over-imaginative imagination going. And so the Scripture talks about this. It's essential to spiritual life and growth. Look in 1 Peter chapter 2. I had you over there in chapter 1, but look in 1 Peter chapter 2. I accidentally shut mine away from that. Let's see if I can find it there. It's essential not only to life, you're born again of incorruptible seed by the Word of God. Thank God for it. 1 Peter chapter 2 tells us what we're supposed to do in the beginning stages of our spiritual life and growth. Verse 1, Wherefore laying aside all malice, that's harmful intent towards others, and all guile, your deceitful talk and double talk, where you, you know the thing where you didn't quite lie, but you also didn't tell the truth, and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speaking, as newborn what? Desire the sincere milk of the what? That you may grow thereby if so be 
it, you have, uh, B, you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. And so, it's God's Word. How did it get here? It came here because it was given by inspiration of God. God's Word, not just man's Word. And then say to you, it also is essential to spiritual life and growth. You've got to have the Bible. You've got to have the Bible. Hey, owning one's not going to do it. Thinking nice thoughts about it's not going to do it. Having read it at some point in your life and not being involved with it now is not going to do it. Having a retentive memory that can put verses in and not really have to work at it is not going to do it. You've got to have a relationship. And you have, to, you have to be seeking the Lord's Word and getting inside of you. I guarantee you the world's getting inside of you. I guarantee you wrong thinking's getting inside of you. I guarantee you strong and sometimes very damaging emotions are getting inside of you. Very get the Word of God inside of you. Then let me say to you, uh, I'm going to end with a couple passages from the Old Testament on how good God's Word is and how personally He protects it. Let's look first at how good God's Word is. Look in Psalm 19. All preaching, not giving us anything new this morning. You got it. Yay. That's the target. That's the intention. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Psalm 19. Love this passage. First passage I ever preached in a regular church service was from this text and has gotten no less sweet over the years. Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord, excuse me, is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. I can be said in summary about all this. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned and in keeping of them, there is great reward. What a precious thing we have in the Word of God. How valuable it is. It's described as, as things of lasting value. It's described as something that warns us from error and damage and destruction. It, it, it's described as something whereby we can know how to be rewarded by God. And it's described as the sweetness of the honey and the honeycomb. Something that will enlighten the eyes. Even as Jonathan, Saul's son, was weary during battle and he dipped the tip of his staff into the honey and put it to his mouth and in the middle of the battle when he was ready to faint away, his eyes were enlightened and he was strengthened by taking of that morsel. So the Word of God often comes and refreshes us and strengthens us and helps us to keep going day by day in this world as we live for the Lord and keep going for Him. And then God takes a peculiar interest. You say, oh, I believe... I believe the doctrinal statement of the creed. We believe in the uh, uh, we believe in the vernal ple- uh, the ple- plenary uh, verbal plenary vernal <laughs> verbal plenary. In other words, word for word, every word. 
inspiration of the Scripture in the originals. A lot of people write that. I don't, I don't go along with that one. I believe that God did do that, but that's way too limiting. And that means that uh, God gave the Word at some time, and then ever since then, it's just been best as it can, and we hope we have something close to it. I don't believe that. And by the way, me not believing that, in case some of you have real quick minds and you've been inculcated into some foolish thinking, uh, not believing that doesn't mean I believe in what you want to call double inspiration either. And I refuse to be slammed into a, 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 a completely insincere and, and, and inappropriately uh, put forth theological corner by those who don't understand uh, that God gave His Word by inspiration and He has kept it. That God superintends His Word. Psalm 12. Psalm 12. And it's kind of amazing that in so many of the versions that have come along that this, this particular passage has been so radically changed that it bears no resemblance at all to what its teaching is. That it shifts completely off subject in the way it's written. And it shifts the focus to men being preserved as in their life being cared for instead of the Word of God. You have to completely change what it says to do that. And... Uh, so what are you talking about, preacher? I'm talking about thank God how sweet the word of the Lord is and thank God we can trust it. Hey, if I have to be marked down or whatever somebody wants to mark me down as being a preacher who tries to convince his people to have a stronger trust in the word of God, put me in that category. If I have to, if I have to plead guilty to standing before God's people week after week saying you can trust your Bible, you can believe your Bible, you need to study your Bible, the Bible is the final authority in all matter of faith and practice. Not me or any other man. God is. If I have to plead guilty to having done that in my 39 and a half years of preaching, 28 years as a pastor of this church, if I have to plead guilty to do that, I gladly plead guilty because I want your faith to rest in God. And I want your faith to rest in the fact that God has clearly communicated to you how you may love and serve and please Him. How you can know the way of salvation through Jesus Christ and how you can live the victorious Christian life. That's really all my ministry is about is trying to get you to Him, to Him, to Him. So you grow. You feed yourselves and keep going. Psalm 12, look in verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. And it's a good thing he does because that last verse. It says the wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. And certainly we see that in our country. We've seen it in the history of other nations. We see that uh, all around. That uh, the wicked walk on every side. And they'll try to tear down your faith. They'll try to move you to things and, and habits and, and self-justification that's not pleasing to God. And the thing that will bring us back on track, the only thing that will keep us on track, is the Word of God. When we go back to it, it cleanses us. We go back to it, it strengthens us. We go back to it, it establishes us. Why? Because the Word of God is what you can trust. I'm talking about God's Word. Uh, I have no other. I have no other argument. I have no other plea. That's it. The word of God. Say, what's well, Plan B? Don't have Plan B. It's the word of God. On this, on this rests eternity. It tells me of the one who saved me. It tells me of His blood. You wouldn't know of the blood of Christ. 
You wouldn't know of heaven and hell. You wouldn't have known of the atonement. You wouldn't know of the sacrifice if it wasn't for the Word of God. I remember a fellow early in ministry accused me of bibliolatry. They always come up with fancy words when they want to call you something. I said, what do you mean by that? Well, you worship the Bible. I said, are you talking about I'm worshiping that leather cover and that paper and all that? I said, well, almost. I said, no, I believe that God exalted His Word above all His name. I believe that God has superintended this Word. I believe this is the Word of God. I'm not going to mess with it. I'm not going to change it. I'm not going to correct it. Amen. And if I'm teaching you something I don't know, the answer is I don't know. Why? Because this is God's Word. Amen. It can help you. It can change you. And I'll tell you, you make the decisions in your life. And well, it is that you should. God's given you that. And you decide how you'll follow and what you'll do. But I'm going to tell you what brings me great comfort is week after week, I don't have man's philosophy. I don't have something sent down from some headquarters and following uh, some uh, sort of liturgical calendar to give you what they think we ought to be saying. I'm glad I can open this book, which is the Word of God, and give you God's Word. Because it effectually works in those who believe. And it also convicts of sin and convinces. Thank God for it. (laughs) I'll leave you with a question. Please listen to the question. Of all the things and people you let influence you, think of this, man. Of all the things and people you allow to influence you, how much influence do you give the Bible? Of all the things and all the people who you allow to influence you, how much are you allowing the Bible to influence you? Do you think soberly about that? If you do, it will reveal to you why it's not surprising what happens in people's lives. Let me pray with you. Father, thank You for the Word of God. May Your people be responsive to Your truth. To be obedient to You in every bit of loving Your Word. Lord, we need You. We thank You, the living Word. We're glad we have the written Word. Father, may we use it to follow You and love You and to love one another and to do all things in charity. Help us, Lord, to be the people you desire us to be because you dwell in this place. I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Please, no moving or looking around. Let me ask you something seriously. Is Christ your Savior? I'm not talking, can you sign a theological statement or a doctrinal statement and say, I agree with such, 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 such? Is He your Savior? Can you tell me biblically why you know He's your Savior? And I ask you if you can quote a bunch of verses, but can you tell me why? Well, if you can't, I wouldn't leave here without knowing him today. We have any number of people in this room who gladly open the Bible and show you scripturally how you can be born again. Not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible of the Word of God. Now, Christian, what's your relationship towards your Bible? Please don't excuse yourself with such lame things. Well, I'm not in as much as I should have. Would you please get real and deal with real things? What's your relationship towards it? Do you understand it is within your power to make that relationship better and begin on a pathway of allowing it to influence you more? You can do that. It just takes a little thought, a little organization. We're going to have invitation time in just a moment. When we do, there will be Christian people. Maybe you need to come and pray about something before the Lord. If you don't know Christ, you come get our attention. We won't make a spectacle of you. We will not in any way 
do something to uh, embarrass you, we'll be glad they take the Word of God and talk to you about your soul. Let's stand together, please, as we do. Song invitation will begin. Once you come this morning, don't hesitate to be obedient to the Spirit of God.